Father, we want to come to you in the name of Jesus. You're a good God. Even though we are unfaithful, you still remain faithful. Father, we've heard, you've heard our worship, you said. We said brokenness. We, we wanted holiness. And I pray, Father, that Lord, you would, des- you would truly find the desire for genuine brokenness and holiness in the hearts of your people. And Lord, even as now we meditate upon your word, speak to our hearts. We need you, Lord. We need you more. We need you. Father, unless you speak, Lord, this will be just a dead word. The flesh profits nothing. It is a spirit who gives life. And the words that you speak are spirit and life. Therefore, I pray, Lord, that you would impart a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit and release life into us this morning through the preaching and the study of the Word. To that end, I pray that you would anoint every one of us in the hearing and in the speaking. Thank you, Father. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory, for in Jesus' name, Amen. We've been studying the scriptures for hmm, with such intensity for the last several months. Looked at several passages, familiar passages, and really, God has been speaking and Showing us gold. Okay. It's been precious. The intent of scripture. If you look at Second Timothy 3.16 and 17. The intent of scripture. says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Okay. Now the point here is why do we read the scriptures? Before we go to 16, can you look at verse 14 and 15? Um, Paul is telling Timothy, he says, uh, verse, verse, verse 15, uh, and, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So the whole purpose of studying the scriptures is to make us wise for salvation. And not in our own strength, obviously. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when we are we're talk, talking about through faith in Jesus Christ, it's got two, at least two connotations. First connotation, we do not trust in our own righteousness. We trust on the finished work of Jesus. We put our faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our righteousness. It is righteousness by faith and faith alone. We don't pervert the gospel or subvert the gospel. The order of the gospel is very clear. Faith in Christ Jesus. Receiving grace and then walking in obedience. We don't walk in obedience and therefore receive grace. That is the other gospel that Paul was alluding to in uh, the book of Galatians. 
Okay, there's no subverting of the gospel. The first, first thing, therefore, when we study the scriptures, it is so that we have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the first part of faith. Second, in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul tells, you don't have to turn there. He says, I am crucified with Christ, yet not, yet it is no longer I who live. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who died for me and who gave himself for me. So that is the other part of salvation. The salvation of the work of God inside of us continuously releasing and freeing us from the power of sin. Okay. So these two things are important. So therefore, if you are becoming more and more wise, if you are becoming wiser, in the Lord, it means that you are overcoming sin more and more. You are you are becoming uh, what do you say? Uh, strategic. You are developing strategies as to how to fight sin. That is what wisdom is. Okay, right? You need to understand this. How do I fight sin strategically? Because see, sin has got a very very bad nature. In uh, you don't have to turn there again. Genesis chapter four says, "Sin is." crouching at the door and it's and his desire is to have you okay but you have to master him not it okay you have to master him so how do we develop strategies so that we overcome sin okay so that is the reason why we study scriptures how do we make ourselves wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ in that we continuously are being made righteous not only positionally but also practically in our lives. Okay. And to that end is what Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 now we will go there and 17 we will talk about. What does it say? It says <clears throat> all scripture all scripture which is, which is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ yeah is given by the inspiration of god and is profitable okay see we need to understand we are a people of profit we have to search for profit don't become dum-dums basically ah it's okay no i need profit if i invest something i should get some returns out of it and of course we are not looking at temporal returns we are looking at eternal returns okay and it is profitable for doctrine. Second, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be perfect, complete, in other words, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Such a clear verses. But the two important things, words, which I want to really concentrate today upon is you have a doctrine and you have instruction in righteousness. Between doctrine and instruction in righteousness two words which we hate. Whether you like it or not, it is a fact. Okay. We just despise those two words with a hatred which is from the pits of hell. What is that? First is reproof. And second is correction. But let me tell you something. The entire Bible is full of reproof and correction. Because in Jeremiah, Jeremiah confesses, he says, it is not in man to direct his ways. Impossible for him to do it. It is impossible. So once we have, um, what do you say, 
enlisted ourselves as soldiers in, in, in into Christianity, these two words will confront us every day, every moment, and will test us. God will test us. And, he, and, and Job says, he tests me every moment. The Lord tests the righteous. But the wicked, he lets them go. <laughs> and yesterday I was listening to Zach Boonen, no? <laughs> man of God, a man of God. He was talking about uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse uh, chapter 22, verse 11. Can you just go there? 22, 11 of Revelation chapter 22, verse 11. And he was, uh, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. And we, we, were, we were singing that song, righteousness, holiness. And, and, and I, was, I was reminded of this. And you know what he says? Why did God, he put this particular word in Revelation chapter 22 verse 11. Why? What was the reason for him to put this word? And he made a very interesting observation. He says, we have 66 books. And Revelation chapter 22 verse 11 is like the last book. And God is telling, after all that you have heard in all these 66 books, and you still want to be unjust, continue to be unjust. If you want to be filthy, continue to be filthy. I'm not going to stop you. He who is righteous, let him, be, let him continue to be righteous. And he who is holy, let him be what a statement that was. It convicted me like anything, you know. So, so two things will continuously confront us. Two words, what are they? Reproof and correction, which we hate. I don't, I don't, um, uh, I, I'm, see, it doesn't matter which stage of spiritual journey you are in. The mark of true humility. Humility, as Hercule Poirot would call it. Somebody told Hercule Poirot, you know, he said, you are so humble. Yes, I am the most humble man on this earth. And I'm going to tell the world of my humility. <laughs> That's what the statement he makes. Okay. The mark of true humility, true humility, whether you're the, 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 the real, real mark of genuine humility is how we respond to reproof and correction. Now, these two are very interesting words. Okay. What is reproof? It is to convict and test us. In other words, it's like a plumb line. Okay. It's the plumb line of God's standards and to see how far you are there from the standards of God. And today, pastor was praying in the morning. He said, Lord, your church every day falls short of your standards. I was like stunned when he was praying that. How far we have strayed from the standards. He says, righteousness will be my plumb line. What, whose righteousness? Not your righteousness, Baba. Your righteousness is absolutely worthless and useless. Your glory, you glory in your shame. It is shame, shame when compared to my righteousness. You're absolutely naked before me in as far as your righteousness is concerned. 
So the plumb line of God is a plumb line of his righteousness and reproof of God shows us how far we have strayed from his plumb line. That is the reason why 623 of Proverbs, very easy to remember, 2 times 3 is 6, 623 Proverbs. 323, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, if you want to get back to the glory of God, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light and reproofs of instruction is the way of love, are the way of life. In other words, if you want to be in the way of life, one of the things that you have to be, get, you have to get used to sooner than later, even you have begun your walk as a Christian, is to get used to reproofs of instruction. That is the way to life. It is the way of life. And in other words, if we, if, if we just uh, negate the statement, if there are no reproofs of instruction, you are in the way of death. That's the point. That is the reason why he tells uh, Smyrna, if I'm right, he says, you have a reputation that you are alive, but you are what? Dead. You have a reputation. And I have not found your works complete before God. I am the Lord who comes and tests you. I know your works. If you look at the entire uh, seven letters to the seven churches, he comes and tells, I know your works, 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 and I found your works, Myrna, not complete before me. In other words, you start and you don't complete. You're, you're too far gone. It's absolutely imperfection in your life. So reproofs of instruction are a way of life. So the first thing, what does reproof show us? It's how far we have strayed from God. And what is correction? Is to put us right on track. And that is a painful process. You know that? To get corrected. To humble ourselves and to say, Lord, I need this. You know what is? What is uh, what? What correction in 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 the in the original Greek actually mean means? Uh, I think it's like anthropos, orthopos, orthopos, from which we get the word orthopedic. In other words, getting your bones straightened up literally. It's a bone setting process, and if you have any time gone to a bone setter, you know how painful it is. I remember when, when I was a kid, um, I was by, I was uh, riding my cycle. Just going crazy very fast now. And then what happened? My the front mudguard came off. And suddenly the front tire just you know stopped. And the momentum just pushed me like that and I dislocated my elbow. The elbow just came out of like out of my uh, out of the socket like that. And then I went to the orthopedician and you should the screeching and the pain. To set the bone straight. It's painful. Until today, I have a problem with this fellow. The weak arm. Left arm. To literally get your bones in order. And you know what? The Holy Spirit, Spirit is a bone setter. So when you go on the streets and you find bone setters, remember this word, correction. That is correction. That is correction. Setting your bones straight. And if you want to really continue in rest, this is what God keeps on doing. 
So if you turn with me to Luke's Gospel chapter 13, uh, that is not today's word, but I want to, I want us to uh, concentrate and I'm, I'm, I mean, actually I've been, I've been meditating upon this, you know, um, the, the, the person in the, in the five offices given by uh, Jesus Christ, you have the apostolic office, the prophetic office, the evangelic, evangelistic office, you have the shepherd's office, and then you have the teacher's office. Okay, the evangelistic office is the lo- largest, it's the longest one. He's the one who brings everybody into the kingdom of God. The, 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 doc- the apostles is the one who sets the doctrine. And the prophetic office is the one who corrects, is the one who sets your bones in order. And how you respond to the prophetic, and that is what I believe I'm going to share in the coming days whenever I have the opportunity to share the word of God, as to how you respond to the prophetic determines your eternal destiny. Okay, look at uh, one dimensionality of it today this morning. But let us uh, go first to Luke's Gospel, chapter thirteen. Let's read from verses ten onwards. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and whenever he's teaching, what is he doing? He's correcting, okay, setting the record straight, if you will. Hmm? And behold, there was a woman who had the spirit of infirmity for 18 years, and she was what? Bent over. And could in no way raise herself up. That's exactly the word, to be straightened up. She could not do it. That which is bent cannot be made straight. Set in one order. And, I, and, I, and when I'm, I'm looking at this, and I said, you know what? That woman is a picture of the church. It's a picture of the church. And the spirit of infirmity means a spirit of weakness. And it's a weak church. It has no strength. <coughs> and it's been bent over. And what you have is a compromised Leadership in the Pharisees. Absolutely compromised. There's no teaching at all. And they are bent over. The church is bent over. Absolutely powerless. Been overcome by the spirit of infirmity. And has no ability to what? To raise herself up. To make itself straight. In other words, it has lost its ability to be what? To be Corrected, bent over, <coughs> taken over by the spirit of what do you say, uh, infirmity, weakness, and that's exactly how the church is absolutely weak. So many churches absolutely weak. I, I remember Tozer making a powerful statement. He said, "We have the most simplest of translations and the weakest of churches." Yeah. And he says, "Isn't it ironic?" That we want to understand the Bible easily. And at the same time, we also are in a generation of the, of the weakest church. You don't want, you, 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 we, we don't want people, oh no, you know, people don't listen to long sermons. Only a few people will hear. We are not here for, it's not a popularity contest. This is not politics. Only few. I mean, isn't it interesting? Many will strive to enter through, but will not be able to. 
Simple, because in the last days, you know, in Second Timothy chapter 3, he says, people will not be able to endure sound teaching, but will heap for themselves teachers according to their itching ears. They will not be able to endure sound doctrine. It's impossible for them because they will lose their ability to be corrected. It's a picture of the church. A picture of the church which is bent over by a spirit of human, of, of infirmity and has no ability to fight sin and fight the powers of darkness. It's overcome by the spirit of infirmity. For how many years? 18 years. Long time. And he was teaching. And what does the religious establishment do? Absolutely nothing. They don't have the prophetic word. What can they do? Look at the like next verse. Verse 12. When Jesus saw her, I want to, I want to, I want to uh, really look at that word saw. I don't know what it is in the, in the, in the, in the Greek. There are three words for see in the Greek, at least. There's theoreo. There is Ido and there is Blepo. Okay, you can do a study, okay, on that. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Church, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made, what does that mean? She was corrected. Hallelujah. And she glorified God. And I believe this is what we need in these last days. We need a gentle shepherd. Excuse me. Can you just uh, just switch off the screen for a minute? I just lost something. I forgot my my soul. Thank you. Sorry. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 33. I want to show you something. Ezekiel chapter 33, please. Sorry, 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. And verse um, 15 onwards. And when I read these words, verses, you, you have to hold me accountable to this, okay? What is the shepherd supposed to do? The five things the shepherd has to do. How many things? Five things. Look at what the shepherd has to do, okay? And to future, if you were to you if, if God ever calls you to become a pastor or a or a shepherd, pastor or a shepherd, same word. Okay. This is what is required of you. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord. Look at this. The shepherd is supposed to do the first thing. I will seek that was lost. I will bring back that which was driven away. I will bind up the broken. Fourth thing, what is it supposed to do? I will strengthen that was sick with a spirit of infirmity. That is the fourth one. Then fifth one. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. So in, in Telugu, it's very interesting. He says, those who are fat sheep, I will discipline them nicely. So five things a shepherd has to do. There will be lean, weak sheep and there will be fat sheep. Be assured, 
waxed fat and kicked. That fellow has to be disciplined. So the five things the shepherd has to do, he has to seek that which was lost. That's exactly what Jesus did. I came to seek that which was lost. Just lost. They got lost. They were they just went away out of the way because they couldn't just leave themselves. Second, I will bring back those who have been driven away. Some people have been sent out from the church. They were driven away by 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 compromised leadership. They said, "What is this, Lord? Is this the church?" They have been driven away by compromised leadership. Third, I will bind up the broken. Fourth, I will strengthen that which was sick. So, which, which was sick, meaning I'm going to straighten those that which was sick. And that's exactly what he was doing here. Okay, just wanted to mention that okay, before I before I go to the. So when Jesus saw her. It says in uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 13, verse 13. He says, verse 13, verse 13. 13, 13 of Luke's gospel. Hmm? He says, and he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. And what does a compromised leadership say? They hate it. They hate correction. Look at what it says, verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord said, you hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox and or donkey from the stall and lead it out, lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, how many years? 18 years. And he says what? Think of it, think of it, think of it, he says. Be loosed from her bond on the Sabbath. That's exactly what is supposed to be done on a Sabbath day. You have to be made straight. And you think it's an easy thing to be made straight? It's easy to get bent. Right? That's the default position. To walk upright and blameless. That's what upright means. Straight. Not to compromise. What has happened to the church? Compromise and compromise and compromise and compromise and compromise and compromise, compromise leadership. No, no prophetic word, nothing. Absolute shaft. They have been feeding their flock. And what has happened? Over a period of time, there was, they were bent. And that which is bent cannot be made straight. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. Unless and until God who comes and says, you are bent and I will make you straight. And he says, you've been loosed. Spirit of infirmity, leave. Spirit of weakness, leave. I want to. I, I want to really think about these things, no? Even as we meditate on the Word of God, have we lost our ability to be corrected? <laughs> our ability to accept correction, which is difficult, which is painful, to set our bones in order, is not easy. That is the reason why it looks as a bones and says, can these dry bones live? <laughs> Lord, only you know it. They all came together. God has to put them all together. He is the ultimate bone setter. And what does he do? He prophesies to the dry bones. And he brings them all together. Puts flesh on it. And prophesies. And they rise up to become a mighty army for the Lord. That's the whole purpose of the prophetic ministry. Amen. So how do you respond to the prophetic? It's a very important thing. And it's not a popularity contest, by the way. The more popular you are, 
the chances are, <laughs> it says Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verses 22 to 23. And verse 26. 6, 22, 23, and verse 26. <clears throat> Blessed are you when men hate you. Ah, kya baat hai. What a statement that is, no? You know, uh, the word for Job means that actually. Job means hated of the world. Okay. Blessed are you when, when you are Job. Okay. In other words. Blessed are you when men hate you. And when they exclude you. Are you get out of the company. And they revile you. And they cast out your name as evil. For the son of man's sake. Not for, for uh, being a bad boy. Like hijab. Okay. Muhammad Ijab and Menj and all these fellows are getting exposed now, by the way. Alright? Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. And then rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. So, you're not a, you're never going to be popular. It is impossible for the world to be. There will be only a few people who will desire to live godly lives and who will love you. The rest of the world will hate you. In fact, chances are that in your lifetime you will not be loved at all. Are you ready for that? Oh, people say, I am apostle so and so, prophet so and so. You have no idea what you are talking about. Look at verse 26. Look at verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers do to the... And the word for false prophets is pseudo-prophetes. Pseudo-false prophets. So how we respond to the prophetic is important. So let us look at a few examples today. Let's go to First Kings chapter 13. Okay, the whole, because we are looking at the altar, right? The altar, the altar, the altar. Let's read from First Kings chapter 13 and let's read from verse 1 to 1 onwards. Okay, let's read. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child Josiah by name shall be born to the house of David and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you and the men's bones shall be burned on you. Now look at this. Who came from, where does he come? He comes from Judah. That means there are all prophets over there you know. There was an old prophet also. If you read the story, old prophet who have lost their prophetic anointing. They have lost their ability to correct. They have lost every anointing and God has no prophets available over there. So what does he do? He raises a man from down south. And he goes there. And he prophesies. And then what happens? Verse 3 onwards. And he gave a sign the same day saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. And what does Jeroboam do immediately? So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God. Did he fall flat on his face and say, oh Lord forgive me? No. You see? Cried out against the altar in Bethel that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, arrest him or seize him. Capture him. Stop him. Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered. So that he could not pull it back to himself. Boy. 
Uh, see, this is what happens. I mean, telling you, telling you something, your hand represents your work. It's absolutely dry. Without means, lots of anointing. There's no life which is flowing. You know why? Many of you, many of the people have stretched out their hands against the prophetic voice. Don't ever think that you can stretch your hand against the prophetic voices without consequence. It is impossible. It may not have happened physically. A problem, the point here is this, the Jeroboam had happened physically and he still did not repent. It says in the last verse, verse 33, if you turn the turn 1333, very interesting, 1333. Look at what it says. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. He did not. You see, the response, therefore, the responses to the prophetic voice is therefore very, very important. We have to look at that very carefully. Study it very carefully. What does a prophetic voice every time when we look at, we look at patterns in the Bible, by the way. Okay, and see how does this prophetic voice, uh, what does it confront in us? The narrative. And we look, look, study some new covenant lessons from there. So what happened was 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 four uh, was five, yeah, was five. It says thirteen five, and the the altar was split apart. The ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given him by the word of the Lord. Let's read on. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, "Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my that my hand may be restored to me." So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. Then the king said to the man of God, come, come home with me and refresh yourselves and I will give you a reward. And he had no intention of uh, felicitating, you know, very, very well because he rejected his voice already. 33. After all this, he did not turn, right? And verse 8, the, but the man of God said to the king, even if you give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. So how is your response? To the prophetic voice. You see, if you go through the Bible and check the responses to the prophetic voice, if you looked at uh, 1818 of Jeremiah, we know that how they responded. They said, you know what, we will stop this fellow from speaking. We have countless other fellows who can speak the word of God to us, but this fellow shall not speak. What should we do? We'll attack him with our words and we'll slander his name. So that we don't want to hear Jeremiah's voice. It's interesting, right? If you look through the Bible, this is how the people responded because they hated the prophetic voice. And what does it tell us? That means in our flesh we hate it. We hate correction. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 to 9. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 to 9. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. He who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Let the just be just still. Let the wise be wise still. Let the scoffer keep scoffing. And how do you know you're a scoffer? You will hate the fellow who brings correction into your life. 
something about them, something about the corrective voice you do not want to take at all. You get offended. You are not objective with the truth that has been presented to you. You are emotional. Oh, you get so emotional. You get carried away. Oh, what's happening? What happened to my personality? No, no, no. no. Nothing there. You, one of the things, whenever, uh, you, this is a practical lesson we have to learn, okay? When, when things are spoken to us, just go back and sit and think objectively. Put aside all your emotions, all your feelings, all your hurt. God is not against you. God is for you. So how do you respond to the prophetic voice? It's a very important thing, okay? See, let us look at only the kings, okay? We'll just look at 1st Samuel, 2nd Samuel, uh, sorry, first, actually it's 1st Kings, 2nd Kings, 3rd Kings, 4th Kings, Chronicles, 1st Chronicles and 2nd Chronicles. That is how it is actually, okay? And uh, the entire book of Samuel is written by two, pro- three prophets actually. You had Samuel, you had Gad, and you had Nathan. Three people wrote a huge chunk of first samuel second samuel i think for, and also uh, first kings part of it was written by nathan and uh, also gad the seer so let us read from uh, first samuel chapter 2 verse 27 first samuel chapter 2 verse 27 onwards let's see how people respond to the prophetic then a man of god came to eli is a prophet and said to him thus says the lord did, not, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Mm-hmm. Did, I, did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar to, bear, to burn incense and to wear an effort before me? And did I not give to the house of, his, uh, house of your fathers all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? And then, why do you kick my sacrifice? And my offering, which I commanded you in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat by the best of the of all the offerings of Israel, my people. And then, therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I indeed said that your house and the house of your fathers would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will also honor. But those who despise me, I shall lightly esteem. What was the problem here with Eli? He was one guy who tolerated sin when he saw it in his sons. But how it, but when he saw it in others, how did he respond? He tolerated sin when he saw it in, in his sons. But when he saw it in others, for example, Look at how he how he tolerated sin in the when he saw it in his sons. First Samuel chapter two verse twenty two. Hmm? Look at what he says. Hmm? Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then, so he said to them, "Why do you do such things? Ayo, to jhapad marna mabar." For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Know my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. You get the, look at those words. But what about sin? In I mean, when he at least perceives sin on in other people's life, look at the way they are. He is very harsh, very quick. One Samuel chapter one, verse twelve onwards. 
Hmm? 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 12 onwards. And it happened as she continued, what? Hannah, praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was in immediately look at his indignation. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Ah. And what about your sons? Oh no, my sons. Oh no, you should not do this, okay? If you do this, how you see this is how you tolerate sin in your in your life and in your flesh. That is the reason why Jesus said, unless and until one hates his father, mother, brother, sister, even in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Is how that's that's how you should you should you should judge as a father. No, I, I I'm I'm in a church. Okay, how do I treat my children when they make a mistake, and how do I treat others' children when they make a mistake? Let's imagine if I'm a pastor. No, my children don't do like that. Okay, but when I see other children, hey, look what your son daughter is doing. That is Eli's spirit. Tolerate sin in your own flesh and blood. But when it comes to others, you are tough. You never judge your own family. (laughs) You judge other people's families and other people's sons and daughters. Verse 25 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. What happens? If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Sin is sin. No partiality. You have to confront it whether you see it in yourself or in others. First of all, more in yourself. You have to be more strict with yourself and gentle on others. Or to be tough with your children and gentle mother's children. And look at him. He's not able to, he's so set in his ways, he cannot, cannot change anymore. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 17. Now, the, the one man of God comes and confronts him in his sin. And now Samuel also gets the prophetic word. And this is what he says. He said, what is the word of the Lord that Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. And then what does Samuel say? And Samuel told him everything and hid, hid, hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. He's not even going and saying, Lord, can you deal with me please? Can you forgive me? Nothing. He said in his ways. Said. You know, so many people are set in their ways. They will go and listen to the prophetic word. But do they correct themselves? No. They like to hear a good word. If any man is only a hearer and not doer, what does he do? He deceives himself. Look at what it says in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30 onwards. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30 onwards. And we can look at it in different translations. We can look at it in the NKJV and then we will look at the message. Okay, very interesting. 
As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses and they speak to one another. What are they saying? Oh, don't go to this man of God. No, 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 no. Everyone is saying to his brother, please come and hear the word that is coming from the GTC channel. It comes from the Lord. And then what happens? So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words. Huh. But they do not do them. They sit in their ways. For with their mouth they show much love. But their hearts pursue their own gain. And then you know what it says, verse 32. Indeed, you are you are to them as a very lovely song. <laughs> oh, one of one who has pleasant voice and who can play well on an instrument. Like, have you have you ever seen a performance? You are like a song to them. You put that song in repeat mode also. Loop. It's a pleasant voice. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And then verse 33, what an indictment. And when this word will come to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that the prophet has been among them. What a deception. What deception, right? That you can listen to a prophetic word, you can ex- you can, you can, you can critique it, you can give it four stars out of five, or five out of five, and yet not do what the prophet asked you to do. You're set in your ways. That is the reason why James chapter 1 and verse 24, if I'm right. James chapter 1 verse 24. Yeah. Onwards. For, sorry, verse 23 or 22 onwards. Yeah, yeah, 23 onwards. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. Immediately. He's gone. And then? But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and not is a forgetful hearer, but doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Faith without works is dead. As body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. You have to take action after you hear. What is the first action? Go, go to your secret closet of prayer and say, Lord, where am I, Lord? Where am I? Where am I, Lord? That is the one action. I can't, I mean, you're not, you're not saying you should do it in your own strength. No, 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 no. You're not perfecting, having begun in the spirit, we don't perfect in the, perfect ourselves in the flesh. No, 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 no. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do you respond? Tell me, tell me, tell me, what did the Lord tell me, tell you about me? Oh, this is what is going to happen to you. Okay, okay, let him do whatever he does. Can you imagine? Two times. The prophetic word comes. And this is absolute indifference to the prophetic voice. Let's look at another example. First Samuel chapter 15. All these are familiar examples. Looking at familiar and then we will go to a, the less familiar, okay? And verses 1 onwards. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed 
the voice of the words of the Lord. That's interesting. There's a words of the Lord and there's a voice of the Lord. The words of the Lord and the voice of the Spirit. There's a letter and there's a Spirit. Okay. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. Okay. Now therefore, heed, listen, obey the voice of the words of the Lord. And then go on. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now the problem with Saul is this. I don't think Saul ever had a word life and a prayer life. You will never see the psalm of Saul. Have you seen a psalm of Saul? There is no psalm. Out of 150 psalms, at least 75 psalms were written by David. And Psalm 119 was his, was like his ultimate. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. That man was a man of the word. And that is one of the reasons why when the prophetic word came, it could easily correct him. You know why people are not corrected? Because they are not convicted. And why are they not convicted? Because they don't have the deposit of the word of God inside of their own hearts. You see, uh, I'll tell you something. Um, if I have to teach geometry to Abigail, she has no idea. I, I talk about right angle, obtuse angle, acute angle. She has, she, it is Greek and Latin for her because in her mind there are no categories about geometry at all. That is not a straight line. She can put a straight line. I mean, she, she, she will take the scale and she will just draw a line and she will say it's a straight line. And there is no comparison. Because there is no categories which have been established in their hearts first. And therefore, you will see Saul, he was never convicted because I believe he never had the word. He never had the word. How do you know? How do you know he never had the word? Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 10 onwards. Hmm? Look at what it says. Now it happened as soon as he had finished. Okay. As soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and said, and Saul went to, went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down to me at Gilugal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled. And Samuel said, you have done foolishly because you have not kept the commandment of the Lord. I mean, in other words, in order, in order to keep the commandments of the Lord, you should know the commandments of the Lord. You know, that's the reason why he says, he who has the commandments, it is he who what? Loves me. Do you have the commandments? After you became become king in Deuteronomy chapter 17, you know what you should what he says? You have to write for yourself the copy of the law under the direction of the Levites. And you have to put it near yourself and you have to keep on meditating upon it so that you will not think that you are better than those people you are ruling, whom over whom you are ruling. Keep on meditating. You see, that is one of the reasons why people are not able to take correction simply because they don't have a standard. Why don't they get convicted? Because there's no standard. 
That is one of the things that we, that we have to really, Lord, what are your standards? Teach me your ways. Show me your paths. And that's one of the reasons why we keep on reiterating that verse in Romans chapter 12. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable act of service. And he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that which is good, acceptable and the perfect will of God. In order to know the will of God, you should be in a state to understand the will of God. You should keep on being transformed. Remove the patterns of this world and receive the patterns of God. The established the standards of the patterns of God so that when you are confronted by your mistakes, what, what happens, what takes place is conviction. Your conscience will bother you. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Let me show you this verse. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. The end of the commandment is this. Hmm? Verse 8, right? Verse 8? Yeah, yeah. Verse 8. In Telugu it is verse 7. Now oh, I am getting used to my Telugu Bible. It's very, very, very it's interesting. Huh? Uh, verse 6. Verse 6, 5 and 6. Yeah, yeah. First, verse 5. First, first Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is this. What is it? Love from a pure heart. Second, from a good conscience. And third, from a sincere faith. From which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk and made shipwreck of their faith. He'll say in, in, in the entire book of Timothy. What is the purpose of commandment? To have a pure heart. You have to have a good conscience and to have sincere faith from which is produced love. The base of your love is a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith. And look at look at the sensitivity of Apostle Paul. Let me show you. Acts chapter 23 verses 1 onwards. Acts chapter 23 verse 1 onwards. Now this is, this is Apostle Paul at his at his best, okay? Then Paul, looking at earnestly at the council, said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Then the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge according to me according to the law, and do you command me to, to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by the, stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? And look at his response. Then Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest. What? For it is written. Where? In Exodus chapter 23. 22. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. You see, he has categories in his heart so that his conscience can be pricked. It's interesting, right? When David numbers his troops, it says David's heart smote him. Even before God, the seer comes. Why? Why, 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 why? And let me tell you, because there were standards of God already established in his heart. That is the reason why conviction took place. People are not even convicted. You know why? Because there are no standards at all. So Saul has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> so how will he respond to the prophetic word? Because there are no standards established in his own heart. That is the reason why even in a church, very few people receive the word. Not everyone is receiving the word at the same level. Conviction that 
depths of your conviction. See, for correction to take place, what should happen first? Reproof has to happen, right? Conviction has to take place. How will you be corrected unless and until you are convicted? Hmm. If conviction is gone, where can correction take place? And this guy is not even convicted. His conscience is not even stricken. Look at that sensitivity of David's conscience Conscience when he just cuts the edge of God's robe. What does he say? How come I uh, took, I mean, raised my hand against God's anointed? Touch not my anointed. I don't know who wrote that psalm. I think maybe, maybe he must have sung it in the synagogue some time back. Oh, I touched God's anointed. He must have pricked his heart. So conviction. You know why there's conviction? Because there is standards. And why there's standards? Because there's a meditation upon the ways and the and the and, and the and the and, and why is why is uh, uh, Moses able to say ascribe greatness to God our God, rock? His work word is perfect, work is perfect, and all his ways are just a God of faithfulness without injustice, righteous and upright. Why is he able to say that? Because he knew the ways of God and the standards of God. Therefore, he knew that his ways are right, and he's still merciful. He did not deal with him after his sins. Did not reward him according to his iniquities. You see, that is conviction. You see, he didn't know. And when you come to this situation in Amalek, he says, I remember what Amalek did. The question is, Saul, do you remember? Do you remember? How will you remember? If you have not meditated upon the law. Right? How will you know whether why, why is God so tough on Amalek? How will you know if you have not meditated upon the law? He says, he tells Joshua, see what I have done to Amalek and speak it into his ear. Because I have waged war against Amalek from generation to generation. Flesh has to be dealt with every day, in other words. In one way. Do you know? Do you have a copy of the law? Do you meditate upon the law, Saul? Do you have a copy? Do you know the standards of God? I mean, uh, let me tell you something. No? If you do not have a regular word life, don't think that you will make it into heaven. You have not studied the word. I am not talking because I am a pastor. Before I was a pastor, I am telling you so many years back, I just literally took it seriously to study the word of God for myself. Not because I wanted to preach. And you wouldn't believe it. Every time I would come, I would get convicted. Why? Why did conviction take place in my life? Not because, not because I'm better. It was showing me how far I was from the standards of God because there was already a knowledge and an understanding of the standards of God in my own heart. How will you know it? If you don't meditate. Have you ever seen Saul doing it? Absolutely not. So you don't know. What, do, what, did, what did God do to Amalek? He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 to 19. Remember what Amalek did 
to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear when you were tired <coughs> and weary and he did not fear God. And then he goes on, verse 19, Therefore it shall be when your Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. God has to bring to remembrance. First of all, at least you should have read. How can you remember something which you don't even know? How can you forget something <laughs> which is not even there? <laughs> I forgot. I forgot the car today. I don't have a car. How can I forget it? Think about that. Just think. How can you forget something which you don't even have? You see? See, that is the reason why even every word is prophetic, right? Convictions will not take, the intensity of your convictions and the urgency of your response directly depends upon the standards of God which have been established in your own heart first. I mean, the day I was so convicted about about garbage bin. Oh, I couldn't, I'm still not able to get out of it. Now I go to my bathroom, I go to my garbage bin, I look at the garbage bin, I get convicted now. It's like when you look at your garbage bin, how clean you keep your garbage bin is actually a reflection of what you think about sin. Think about that. It's okay. I was thinking about it in the morning when I was when I went to the washroom. I was thinking about all these statements. My goodness, these standards. If the unless and until these standards are there, I mean, he's, he's saying, how sensitive are you to sin? No, you have doctor over here. He has an understanding of disease. Therefore, he washes his hands. He's very careful as to what diet he eats because he has understanding. And whenever he does something which is out of out of turn, he gets convicted. Why? Because he has an understanding of what diseases. He knows what germs are. Okay. So he knows what a clean place is. You know what he knows what an unclean place is. He keeps away from uncleanness, and he washes his hands regularly. Okay. We wash hands now regularly from COVID. But do we really wash our hands from sin? Purify your hearts, you. Double-minded, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Sanitize your hearts, you sinners. But how do you will, how will you sanitize your heart unless and until you know that there can be sin? Unless you know what is sin, you don't forget. So he never had this habit of reading the word and meditating upon the word and therefore he never had us had an understanding of the standards of God and therefore even when the prophet came he said I obeyed the standards of God I obeyed the voice of God what are you talking about you see he was so light on this that is what the flesh does it downplays sin Sin is a deceiver. It doesn't show its actual head. It tells you, oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not there. <laughs> I'm not there. It's a crouching tiger, hidden dragon. 
It's a deceiver. It's a deceitfulness of sin. The flesh is like that. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. 21. Mm. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, read, read, read on. Okay. That you, uh, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to what lusts? Deceitful lusts. It is growing corrupt. What deceives it? The sin deceives it. How Paul puts it, the commandment came, sin revived, I died. <laughs> what an equation. In other words, when the commandment came, what is commandment coming? What is, I understood the intensity of the commandment. Oh, it came to me. Ah, finally. Bulb jal gaya. Light jala. Patti jal gaya. And oh, it is what it Then sin revived, I died. He really understood what sin was. It says, the deceitfulness. It says, sin was exceedingly what? Sinful. <laughs> it's amazing. That's a very interesting term. Sin was exceedingly sinful. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? See, don't forget the standards of God. And it's very light on that, no? Let's look at another place, no? Go to 1 Kings chapter 20. Let me give you a background as to what is going on over here, okay? Um, Ben-Hadad takes 32 kings and he wants to fight Samaria. He comes and besieges it. And he tells Ahab, your silver and gold is mine, your wives are my wives, your children are my children. Okay. He sends messengers. And what does Ahab say? Okay, 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 okay. Take my children and take my wife. And take my silver and gold. How compromised. No, absolute weak. And then Ben-Hadad sends back another response. My messengers are going, to, are going to come. They will go through your house and whatever is pleasing to your eyes, they will take it. Remember that story? Whatever is pleasing to your eyes. Oh, this, oh don't touch this TV, okay? You take everything else. They will come and take the TV only. Whatever is precious in your eyes, they will take it. And then Ahab calls all the elders and says, look at this fellow. Ayyo. Is this guy weak fellow? You know, Jezebel, 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 you know what my, you know what uh, Elijah did? Weak fellow. I lost this, okay. Yeah? Weak. And then, and then, and then, and, 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 the, and uh, the elder says, don't respond to him. Don't give in to his fears. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. The Whatever you ask me for the first time, I will do, I'll give it. But the second time, what you have asked me, I will not give it. And then, Ben-Hadad sends back this word and he says, may the gods do so to me if I don't take away everything from your house. And you know, Ahab makes a very bold statement. He who puts on the shield should not act as if he has already put it off. Oh, what a bold statement. Hmm? Then the man of God comes. The prophet comes and he says, fight. Then you will know that I am the Lord God. I mean, I was, I'm looking at it and saying, Lord, what an awesome, merciful God you are. You still extend hand of mercy to the most uncompromised, compromised fellow on planet earth. 
during that time at least okay and then uh, then ahab says who is going to fight with me get all these young officers in your districts so he takes 232 young officers and 7000 people who are going to fight syria and they go and fight syria and what will happen they defeat syria where on the mountains and the man of god comes strengthen yourself now yeah yeah you, you defeated don't become complacent strengthen yourself this time because next spring by spring next year this fellow will this fellow will come back so what happens now ben hadar is having a battle strategy over there what is battle strategy uh those those their gods are the gods of the hills not they are not the gods of the plains uh let us bring them to the plains and let us fight so he gets an army as big as the shore i mean like like they spread across the uh, across the land and they come and now fight the next spring and bible says israel's armies were like two small batches of goats and what happens they fight they fight and they defeat benhadad and that fellow runs to a place called afek and he hides himself and then look at what it says in first kings chapter 20 and verse 28 onwards let us read from there okay to just to get a context of what is going on the prophet then a man of god came and spoke king of israel thus says the lord because the syrians have said the lord is a god of the hills but he is not the god of the valleys okay therefore i will deliver all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that i am the lord and they encamped opposite each other for 7 days so it was on the 7th day the battle was joined the children of israel killed 100000 soldiers of the syrians in one day how can one put 1000 to flight except the rock of israel was with them it's impossible in one day and then look at the the intensity and the enormity of the victory and the rest fled to afek into the city then a wall fell on the 27000 of the men who were left all of them died one shot 100000 plus 27 127000 people ahab defeated can you imagine the intensity of the defeat and benhadad fled and fled into the city and into a inner chamber look at the deception of you know benhadad you know who's his father hadad who's hadad he is the one who god raises up to to trouble solomon who is he he is an edomite edom means what flesh okay you defeated the flesh now okay a single speckle of the flesh is left look at how the deception of the flesh here in this case okay then his servant said to him look now we have heard that the kings of the house of israel are merciful kings please let us put sackcloth around our waists and ropes around our necks and our and our heads and go to the king of israel perhaps he will spare your life this is exactly how you'll see with saul and agag that also amalek who is he he is also descendant of esau this fellow is also descendant of esau there are how many descendants of esau 13 13 where do you find them 
out of the hearts come evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders. Da, 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 da. What are they? They're all works of the flesh. Okay. And what should you do when you see an Edomite? Finish it off. From the flesh, all these come. You have to destroy them. You should not have, you should not even spare. He says, do not spare little child, women, men, everything. Don't spare those small little, uh, you know, vices in your, in your mind and in your body. After the service is over, so many vices will come out. Okay, let me just watch a little bit of Sherlock Holmes now. It's all, it's very clean, uh, uh, very clean, Sam. Extremely clean entertainment. Except that you'll have one nude photo there. In one frame. That is enough to defile you. I'm talking about television series. And the problem is you'll forget the entire thing and you'll remember only that fellow. Oh, spare me, Ahab, spare me. I'm not so harmful. It's like that serpent telling, no, please take me home. Please take me home. I'm not so harmful. Oh, and he had pity on the serpent, took it home, gave it milk, and finally it bit him. And what does he say? How can you be so, 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 so mean? But I am a serpent. Did you know that? Didn't you not, not, not know that when you took me home? Sounding like Trump, huh? Please let us put sackcloth around our waists and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare our life. So they wore sackcloth around their waist, put ropes around their necks and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben Hadad, we'll be servants to you now. Please let me live. And he said, Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now comes the prophet. Now the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And so what does he do? He is my brother, your brother Ben-Hadad. So he said, Bring him, takes him, and he puts him on his chariot. The snake is now on his is on his chariot. He's going, to, he's going to bite him now. So the Ben-Hadad said, the cities which you, your father took from your fathers I will restore and you may set up your bazaars. Hmm. Let's get all your Israeli goods and your Bibles. Oh, you can send your Bibles here. No, we can we can have a nice uh, we can open an apologetics uh, uh, whatever school over here and you can teach apologetics to all of us. You teach us about your, about your religion. As my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and he sent him away. Now look how as to how the Bible describes this, my dear brothers. It's very, very serious and intense and you'll have tears in your eyes when you have to see this. Look at what it says in the next verse. I'm just reading this narrative, okay? This is only narrative. Now a certain man of the sons of prophets said to his neighbor, by the word of the Lord, what should you do? Strike me please. 
actually says, strike me with your weapon. In other translations, he uses the word, strike me with your weapon. And he re- and the man refused to strike him. Now look at this. Now this is exactly what happens to prophets. The prophets have to do all this. And then what happened? Next verse. Now he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, the lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, the lion found him and killed him. Oh, that's interesting. Where did you find this before? Is there a precedence? Oh yeah, there is a precedence. Turn with me to First Kings now. Chapter 13. Verse 11 onwards. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel. This is the prophet who comes and tells uh, Jeroboam. Okay. Now old prophet dwelt in Bethel. You see, the narrative itself is so fantastic. I don't even have to say anything expository over here. I just have to read it and you can come to your own conclusions. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done the day in Bethel and they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And then what happened? Their father said to him, which way did he go? For his sons had seen the man of God went who came from Judah. They said to, to his, uh, then he said to his, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey and he rode on it. The problem here is this. And they went after the man of God and found him ah, sitting under. Who asked you to sit, Ray? Who asked you to sit? Jeroboam asked you to come and eat. You said, I'm not going to go. What had God asked me to do? Come here, preach. Don't go the same way you came back. Come back another way. What happened to you? You became a little complacent. And you sat. And you opened yourself to deception. Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And he said to him, come home with me and eat and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you or go with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord that you shall not eat bread nor drink water there nor return by, the, by, the, by going the way you came. And then what happened? And he said to him, I too am a prophet. As you are. And an angel spoke to me. Jibril spoke to me. By the word of the Lord saying, Bring him back to, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. And he was lying to him. So he went back and he ate bread in his house and drink water. And suddenly the prophet gets back his office, his anointing, the prophetic anointing, the old prophet. Look at what he says. Now it happened as I sat on the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet that brought him back and he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and you have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God has commanded you. But you came back, ate bread and drank water in the place which the Lord has said, don't eat bread, you shall not go to the tomb of your father. So it was after he had eaten bread and drunk with that that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. And then verse 24, and he was going, a lion met him on the road and killed him. It's very interesting. The lion kills him. He doesn't eat the donkey. The corpse is there, the lion is there, the donkey is there. What a strange sight. Strike me, strike me, said the prophet. Oh, no, 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 no. I will not strike you. What does it mean? First Peter, chapter 5, verses 8. Be sober, be vigilant, Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
and who does he devour i'll tell you those people who are light on the flesh strike me strike me said the prophet no 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 i will not strike you actually it says strike me with your weapon go back to first kings chapter uh 20 verse 36 onwards now then he said to him because you have not obeyed the voice of the lord surely as soon as you depart from me the lion shall kill you and as soon as he left him a lion found him and killed him i mean a hook <laughs> it's it's unbelievable right the narrative in the old testament and then go on go on go on then and he found another man and he said to him strike me please <laughs> this time this fellow he learned his lesson he said he took that he gave him one chapad okay so he the man struck him inflicting a wound then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes now the king passed by this is he had he cried out he cried out to the king and said your servant went out in the midst of the battle and there was a man who came over and brought a man to me and said guard this man if by any means he is missing your life will, will be for his life or else you shall pay a talent of silver i i will pay your talent of silver and then when he, while your servant was busy here and there the king of israel said to him he was gone so so your so the king of israel said to him so your judgment shall be uh so social your judgment be you sh- yourself have decided it and he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes and the king of israel recognized him as one of the prophets no and he said to him thus says the lord because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom i appointed to utter destruction the word will actually trans- translation in esv uses uses the word i have devoted him to destruction aken touched so those things which have been devoted to destruction those things which are accursed therefore your life shall go for his life and your people will be for his people so the king of israel went to his house sullen and displeased and came to samaria who are you displeased with with the prophet 193 proverbs in five translations we would read all five which are available the foolishness of a man twists his way and he frets against the lord okay let us read it in nsb now and the foolishness of ma- foolishness of a man ruins his way and his heart rages against the lord hmm? then another translation nlt maybe people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the lord <laughs> and the message okay is an iv okay same thing okay a man's own folly people ruin their lives by their own stupidity so why does god always get blamed that's exactly what ahab was you made a foolish stupid mistake and now you are angry with god whom do you find the same characteristic in the bible madam Naomi, the Almighty has done very <laughs> harshly with me. Who asked you to go? Did you ask him? No. Now you are bitter. Now you are angry. Now you are sullen. Now you are displeased. Now you are fretting. You see, don't. We cannot tolerate sin like that. 
let us learn some new covenant lessons. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Okay. Let's read it. Onwards. Therefore, put to death. Now think about that. Kill it. Put to death. Violent. From the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Whom are you supposed to put to death? Your members, not not the members of your congregation, your members of your body. Your members, which are on earth, which pull you down. What are they? Fornication, sexual immorality, uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. What is it? Mortify. Mortify, therefore, the members which are on earth. Why? Why? Your life will be for his life. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 onwards. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And therefore, therefore, my brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Your life, (laughs) for his life. But if you by the spirit, what should you do? Put to death. What a statement that is. Mortify. Kill it. The deeds of your body, you will live. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God to do what? To put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit are the sons of God. Put to death. Mortify. If your eye causes to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes to sin, cut it out. It is better for you to enter into eternity with one hand and then have it restored than to have both hands and burn in hell. Put to death. It's a very powerful word. Kill it in other words. I mean, it's not very easy for us to do it, right? One of the things that I was, uh, Justin and I we were discussing, and she was, she was telling me, you know, when I was a child, I, I used to read the Bible, and I used to think, whenever you go to the tabernacle, the tabernacle is always full of blood. It's blood, blood, blood all over the place. What are the priests supposed to do? Keep on killing from morning till evening. Their hands are full of blood. Every time they kill an animal for sin offering or a burnt offering, what does an animal do? Have you seen killing? How it is? Why? I don't even want to see it. When you see you put a lamb, no? You just imagine. I think Chuck Missler, Chuck Missler made a very interesting uh, statement. He said, think about it. I just get a nice lamb over here, cute little lamb. And uh, Sammy puts a camera on it and I'm petting it nicely. And you know, and uh, and you say, what's your, such a cute uh, lamb. What a nice pastor. He takes care, good care of this lamb. And then suddenly I take a knife. 
and right in front of the camera i slaughter it immediately you will call pastor james and say boss please get this fellow out of the pulpit please what is happening with him what's wrong with him you know why they do not want to see that sight a man of god very not a man of god somebody made a statement he said people who are devastated by the cross are not devastated by correction what a statement that is people who are devastated by the cross are not devastated by the correction because when they see the cross they will say what is this correction the problem is we are not devastated by the cross we do not see the violence on the cross it is not an old rugged cross like pastor says it's a very nice smooth nicely polished plastic symbol and a fetish now galatians chapter 5 verse 24 get this your christs yeah those who are christs have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires it is a radical thing we do not give space to the devil to our flesh that is the reason why continuous seasons of fasting is is recommended is recommended of course fasting in secret but if it's uh, also corporate is good for you actually you know so many thing good good things can happen when you fast actually those who are christ have crucified its flesh with with its passions and desires you know i was reading that i, I mentioned this sometime back i was reading this um, book by tozer it's called the radical cross no this is what he says the cross affects its ends okay by destroying one established pattern the victims and creating another pattern its own whose pattern the cross's pattern thus it always has its way it wins by defeating its opponent and imposing its will upon him it always dominates it never compromises never dickers nor confers never surrenders a point for the sake of peace it cares not for peace it cares only to end its opposition as fast as possible that is the cross no treaties with benhadar strike him and kill him he goes on to say the cross of the old roman times knew no compromise it never made any concessions oh can you just uh, uh just give me a little support no no concessions soda concession marks mil jata no it won all its argument by killing its opponent 
it's it's very much like Islam, no? Um, yeah. Uh, but I'm just no, you know, it's not, it's I'm not comparing here. It won all its argument by killing its opponent and silencing him for good. It spared not Christ, but slew him. The same as the rest. He was alive when they hung him on that cross and completely dead when they took him down from the cross six hours later. That was the cross the very first time it appeared in Christian history. Have you seen the cross? Any compromise? No. Any concession? No. Can we make a treaty? No. What does it do? It destroys one established pattern. That is the opponent's. And re-establishes another pattern. Whose pattern? Its own. That is the reason why now Paul tell, Jesus tells Satan, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you are an affront to me, for you are mindful of the things of men than the things of God. You have no idea about the standards of God. You have no idea. That is the reason why we preach Christ and Him crucified. How do you know a church is bewitched, is under the realm of witchcraft? He's under the spirit of witchcraft. Derek Prince puts it beautifully. How do you know it? Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 onwards. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as what? Crucified. You somehow perverted the way of the cross. Is clearly portrayed as crucified. That means when I came to you, I showed you graphically as to what cross did to Jesus. What, what it was supposed to do, it was supposed to do to you. Like Derek Prince says, right? He says, yeah, I'm reading that book, uh, Rules of Engagement. He says, um, one day he was meditating upon this and he was, you know, he, God gave him a revelation. He spoke to him. That day, there were three crosses. Okay, one for the guy on the left, one for the guy on the right, and the third was for Barabbas. Okay, but instead of Barabbas, who was crucified? Jesus was crucified. But Christ was crucified in whose place? My place. Therefore, you know what God told him? You are that Barabbas. It's suddenly... He said, Lord, thank you. You are Barabbas. You are that man. This is what, how the prophetic comes and confronts you. It shows you how far you have strayed away from the way of the cross. How, 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 how nicely you guard those pet sins in your life. How nicely. Overindulgence in anything for that matter. I mean, we're just not talking about food. What about entertainment? Can people fast from for entertainment for 21 days? Think about that. 
oh no my goodness what is going to happen to me i mean i like the way they have taken away gadgets from uh, johan boy i got a fantastic message from him in the morning he's enjoying his life in the world what a what a way to end all controversies <laughs> take that gadget out of his hand establishing one pattern the patterns in our lives my dear brothers you know what is that pattern i'll tell you one pattern the pattern to tolerate sin and not to give a death blow to the flesh oh benadad my brother and make him come and sit on your chariot that is how you respond to the prophet ultimately when the prophet comes and confronts you what do you do you go back home sullen and displeased and angry with whom with god why for your stupidity and that is the reason my church will never so many people in the church they never have breakthroughs you know why simply because they don't take responsibility for their own actions i was having a conversation with somebody i don't want to mention i said you know what were, we were talking about so many things i said something let, let me tell you brother i made decisions in my life and i'm totally and completely responsible for the decisions that i made it was not my parents it was not my family it was not my peers it was not my teachers it was not even my compromised brothers in the church so to speak it was me i am responsible <coughs> for whatever i have done i am wrong i am responsible until and until you come unless you come to that point in your life <coughs> there's not going to be any what you call deliverance in your life let's go to colossians chapter 3 once again let's read from verse 5 onwards <coughs> 5 to 8 put to death your members which are on earth fornication uncleanness passion evil desires covetousness which is idolatry because of these the wrath of god is be- is coming upon the sons of disobedience and verse oh yeah 7 in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them but now you yourself are to put off all these anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy language out of your mouth this is your what is a weapon that you have to have you know when they build the build the walls of jerusalem our promise for this year was rise up and build how did they build with a brick in one hand or a stone in one hand and a sword in the other or a weapon in the other what is a weapon your gift no your worship no your preaching no not necessarily those are gifts you know what is your weapon first peter chapter 4 
and let's read from verse 1 onwards. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, how should you arm yourself? Also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from the sin. That is what your weapon is. What is it? It is a pattern of thinking which will cause you to overcome sin and mortify the flesh and kill it wherever you find it. Uncompromisingly. That is your holiness. Your your scientific, your sanctified life is your weapon. Jesus said, I know. Paul, I know. But who is Dr. Vijay? Who is he? Who is he? Sanctified life. That he no longer lived the rest of the time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the <coughs> will of God. Let us read it in uh, uh, in uh, a, a message. It's very interesting in message. <coughs> Since Jesus went through everything you're going through, learning to think, learn through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. That's exactly a half spirit. I want this vineyard. No, you didn't give it to me. You will go and whine. Sullen and angry. Same spirit. Getting to expect his own way. Then you then you will able then you will be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. Mortify him. Don't allow it. Don't compromise. That is the reason why the prophetic word is so important. It comes and shows you all those areas and says, you know what, Saul, <laughs> you left this fellow Agag. You didn't completely destroy him. You saw, you thought it was okay. Ahab, this guy. For Ahab to learn his lesson, one innocent fellow had to die. Can you imagine that? I always find this interest very, very interesting. A prophet has to die. Jeremiah will not, Jeroboam will not die. And that fellow still will not learn his lesson. Strike me, strike me, said the prophet. No, 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 I will not strike him strike you. What will happen? Because you did not obey the word of the Lord. You know why? There is no place for sentimentality in the kingdom of God. That's what it means. There are no sentiments. Oh, you are my sons. Oh, you should, you should not be like this. No sentiments. You, when you sin, you have to be confronted with it and you have to deal with it with an iron blow. Finish it off. That's the painful thing. So let's go back to where we started. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for uh, 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 getting me straight. <laughs> getting me straight and for instruction in righteousness. Getting me straight. May the Lord find in us a people who will love reproof and correction. Correct a wise man and he will love you. Reprove a scorner and he will hate you. Commandment is a lamp. Teaching is light. 
reproofs of instruction are the way of life. For what? Let's see. Romans chapter 6. Sorry, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23 onwards now. From verse 23 onwards. Hmm? For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman. From the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart. Not let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. And an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. A lion will come and prey upon you. Do not give it. Give, give way to it. And then go on. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Answer? No. Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be assured? No. So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife, who touches her, shall not be innocent. To keep you from that immoral woman. The word in the Hebrew is shalak. Shalak, shalak, oh shalak. Shalak. To keep you from the chalak woman, from the seductress who flatters with her eyelids. Eyes, eyes. Commandment is a lamp. Law is light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So how do you respond to the prophetic? Problem in the church is there are so many people with withered hands. They should be healed by Jesus of their <laughs> withered hand. Leaders with withered hands. You know why? Because they have lost, because they have stretched their hands against the prophetic word. And they haven't taken the word of correction into their lives. May the Lord warn us and make us into a people who love reproof and love correction. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. You're an awesome God. Mercy endures forever. We looked at so many passages of scripture. You're teaching us, O Lord, in so many ways from the narrative part. Not to be complacent, O Lord, with sin. Not to be complacent, O Lord, with the flesh. It's a complacency of the fools which will destroy them. Is what your word says. It was the complacency of the prophet who just took a rest for a little while because he was tired from his prophetic duties. And he became a target of the enemy. Complacency, O oh Lord. It was a sentimentality of the other guy who said, I will not strike you. And was devoured by Satan. Our prayer is, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Keep us on that straight and narrow path. And never let us compromise with flesh, with the flesh or with sin. When you show it, enable us, Lord Father, to deal with it objectively. Grant us grace to that and we pray. Be with us. Continue to minister to us. We thank you. We praise you. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen.